0: Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michael's 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there. In two of Paul's final letters, he advises a young leader named Timothy How to handle certain situations in the church under his care. Only when we understand what was happening in Ephesus and this small church there do we understand why Paul said what he did, especially about not allowing women to teach. Too many times these verses have been applied to all women at all times, but this week we're going to explain which women. Paul was talking about. So first, let me just say we are nearing the end of our year-long walk through the Bible. And if you have enjoyed your time with me, if you've learned, if you've been enriched, would you pray about paying it forward? We have provided all of this content free of charge, but we need your help to be able to reach a broader audience and to bring this type of biblical foundation to others. So your donation today would be a great helping uh, support and a blessing and help us uh, to do that. Um, also, stick with us even though we're soon coming to the end of the Walk Through the Bible. We have other exciting series planned, so we will continue with a weekly broadcast. Stick with us, but we are uh, now we've got two or three really exciting weeks to wrap up our walk through the New Testament. So let's take a review now. Last week, uh, the Apostle Paul, we discussed how he was handpicked by Christ to pioneer and uh, to take this Jewish gospel to the Roman pagan world. I mean, could anything have been any harder? We also discussed how the New Testament story has begun to leave its Hebraic context and enter into more of a Roman context. So the issues that Paul has been writing about in his epistles are largely either about the Mosaic Law, which affects Jews, and how does it affect Gentiles. And then secondly, behavior and lifestyle, which does reflect the pagan society that these Gentiles were coming out of. So knowing the Hebraic context uh, helps a little, but it doesn't help a whole lot when Paul is addressing the residents of the Roman Empire. Um, He's using their culture as the context. Now um, this week, we come to the end of the Apostle Paul's writings and his story. So once we finish his final letters, which are to Timothy and to Titus, we will then also read the writings of Peter and James and Jude. Um, I'm going to focus in my comments on Paul's last letter to uh, Timothy, to Timothy, particularly the first Timothy. Um, Both to Timothy and to Titus, they were fatherly letters of guidance, how to lead, how to keep order in the church. Um, As I mentioned last uh, week, the book of Acts does not tell us about the end of Paul's life. Um, Tradition tells us that he was beheaded in Rome uh, under the emperor Nero, more than likely. And, um, and so the the book of Acts kind of cuts off uh, right before the end of his life. So, But we do, uh, we do know that uh, the book of Timothy, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, were probably his uh, last letters. And it's kind of sad, kind of reading the last words of this amazing man of God, Paul the Apostle. So as I explained last week, he's dealt a lot with the issue of the law between Jews and Gentiles, and he he deals with the issue a lot of lifestyle and conduct. What you have to understand about these letters, no matter who's writing, uh, for the most part, you're reading one side of a conversation. So the letters have been written in order to address questions, or complaints or information that has been carried to Paul or whoever the writer may be. Uh, but let's, let, we'll stick with Paul for the sake of the conversation. So we're reading what he's answering. So to really understand what he's saying and how to apply it, we have to understand what the question is that he is answering. What's the question or what is the need And this week, we're going to talk about the problem that he was addressing in 1 Timothy. That way, we can really rightly understand why he said what he said about women. What exactly do we think he really said? And what did he mean? And then how do we apply that today? So, you know, if you are a woman you are probably reading some of Paul's writings and scratching your head. Like, I don't understand why he said that. We read uh, one verse last week in uh, 1 Corinthians. This week, we're reading a uh, even more troublesome one in 1 Timothy. So I want to focus on these verses in 1 Timothy. Um, I am you know, it's painfully obvious that there have been many preachers and men preachers, male preachers that haven't really stopped to ask these questions. But as a woman, when I read these verses, I'm like, why did he feel the need to say that? What is it he's really saying? Because it doesn't add up to me. And um, so that's why I want to discuss this. Now, we got to ask ourselves, what were the women saying? If Paul says that these women shouldn't be allowed to teach um, and shouldn't be able to teach men and should be quiet, what were they teaching? And um, was Paul talking about that they shouldn't teach or they shouldn't teach a certain teaching? And um, so our quest today is to understand what Paul was talking about and then how to apply it. So I'm going to share with you some background that will make it all make sense. You will not be scratching your head by the end of our time together. I ask you to please stick with me to the end, because at the very end, I'm going to give you some real meat about what was Paul really saying. But first, the background. So Timothy was serving in Ephesus, You read about Ephesus in Acts 18 through 20. Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It was on the western coast of what today is modern Turkey. The civilization was Greek, but it was a ruling city in the Roman Empire. There was a long history of female deity worship there back to ancient times. But at the time of the New Testament, there was a very large temple to the female goddess Artemis, which the Romans called Diana. This temple was so magnificent, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. People came from all over to see this temple, and what would they see? A female goddess surrounded by female priestesses and prophetesses serving in the cult worship of Artemis and being her mouthpiece. The prophetess was the mouthpiece of this female god to the people. Now, the cult of Diana was filled with magic. There was a lot of mysticism about this and a lot of magic. Therefore, you're going to read, if you go back and read Acts 18 to 20 about the city of Ephesus, you're going to read that a lot of the early Christians from that city burned their books about magic. That's how much magic uh, was uh, a part of the city, of the life of the city, and of the worship of the city, now in Ephesus, there was also a large Jewish community. There were as many as seventy five thousand Jews living in Ephesus so Unfortunately, some of them were involved in the whole magic cult. I mean it's the same anywhere, all right Some of us we assimilate, we get caught up in the society, and so some of the Jews even were part of the magic. And because they were such a large community and a lot of interaction with the society, Jewish stories and Jewish elements of of Judaism had been incorporated into the larger society, and I will say twisted. Now, I'm going to come back to this in a minute, explain what I'm talking about. But this means there was a lot of confusion in Ephesus. The people uh, with inadequate doctrine... Uh, were teaching. Aquila and Priscilla had to pull aside the guy and correct him. Paul had to pull aside someone and correct their doctrine. Uh, As I said, in, in chapter 19, we see where the new believers are burning their magic books. And in chapter 20, we read about a riot of the silversmiths Because the silversmiths had a very big business in Ephesus, they made all the silver idols that people came and bought and took home with them of Artemis. They made a lot of money. And all of a sudden, they see this Paul coming to town, preaching against Artemis, turning people to a different religion where they're burning their books. It threatened their business. So there was a riot. You can read all of this in Acts. Now, in 1 Timothy, Paul mentions a lot of the problems that this was bringing into the church. Then he addresses the conduct of the people in the church, the different groups, men, women, widows, elders, etc., etc. But let's start first with the problems. If you just read through uh, 1 Timothy, uh, through the whole book, I'm just going to pull out some of the problems that he lists. He talks about people that are teaching false doctrines, myths, endless genealogies. They are promoting controversial speculations. There's meaningless talk. There are teachers of the law who actually don't know what they're talking about. That means the Jewish law. People were trying to teach the Jewish law. Like I said, the elements of Judaism that they were familiar with, but they actually didn't know what they were talking about. And he mentions those that actually rejected the true faith and ended up in a in a, shipwrecked, a shipwreck of faith. He talks about deceiving spirits, things taught by demons, through hypocritical liars. He said they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, godless myths and old wives' tales. And in the very last verse of the book of 1 Timothy, he says this, that Timothy should oppose the ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and departed from the faith. So what is this knowledge? Some people have professed knowledge and departed from the faith. What does that mean? Well, the word knowledge in Greek is gnosis, spelled with a G, G G-N-O-S-I-S. And gnosis, the word knowledge, became a whole religious system called Gnosticism, Gnosticism was a religious system that was kind of based on secret mystical knowledge. It held in contempt the God of the Hebrew Scriptures, and it glorified Satan. Gnosticism became a huge influence that many of the church fathers later had to fight. Here in the New Testament, it is in its formative stage. They, this, the purveyors of this Gnosticism, this knowledge, um, claimed to have secret knowledge. But nonsense was actually one of the hallmarks of Gnosticism. And babbling nonsense, and I'm saying this literally, when Paul talks about their babbling nonsense, he meant it literally. There was some kind of babbling. The long genealogies is because they taught that if something bad was happening in your life, it was probably because of something in your family background. So they had these long genealogies that they would go through to determine where the problem was. Gnosticism believed that the material world was evil. So some believed that having children just furthered evil. Children are material things, right? And so you shouldn't marry so that you don't have children and you don't further evil in the world. Um, They believed that one's body was evil and our soul was trapped inside our body. Our soul was the, the, um, the holy part, the right part. And it was trapped in an unclean body. Gnosticism was known as a religion of rebellion. And it literally turned upside down some of the scriptures, what is taught in the scriptures. It just reversed it. It was crazy. And especially the part out of Genesis, the first few chapters of Genesis that talk about the creation of the world, and the creation of man and woman, and the serpent, and the fall into sin." Because this is foundational for Judaism and Christianity. So Gnosticism came along and had a completely different take on this study, on this story. So Gnosticism taught that the God of the Hebrew Bible was evil because he had made the material world, which is evil. The serpent was the beneficent in helping Adam and Eve to shake off the deception perpetrated on them by this evil god, the Creator. And Eve was the mediator who brought true knowledge to the human race. Now, this theory fits in very well in a city where the cult is the worship of a female goddess, and where women are mediators, they're priestesses, they're prophetesses in this cult of Artemis or Diana. When you went to the temple, you would see this huge uh, statue of Diana, and in her dress was all kinds of like mystic symbols, and dancing around her were all of these women, these priestesses, And sometimes they just entirely disrobed during the the dancing. Sometimes they just raised their skirts up because it was about fertility. Fertility was more important than modesty. And um, they adorned themselves with expensive jewelry and all, not for uh, showing off wealth or or anything, but for sensuality in this very sensual uh, worship. Of this female goddess. Now, um, the worship of, of Diana may have differed just a little bit from the ideology of Gnosticism, but I'm showing how that the whole atmosphere in Ephesus allowed an intersection between the two, but for the two to develop. Um, and now, regarding men, this Gnosticism and in, in, in this um, atmosphere in Ephesus where women dominated religiously, um, men could only learn knowledge from a woman. So now that you've got this context for what was going on in Ephesus and the city around them, let's look again at First Timothy. And I'm going to show you a few places where it seems like the women in the church were teaching wrong things. So starting with uh, 1 Timothy 5, verses 11 through 15, Paul is talking here about young widows, not the elderly, but the young widows who says they're going from house to house, babbling nonsense, workers of magic, speaking what they ought not to. So this group of troublesome women were carried destructive doctrine and practice. They were teaching the wrong things. Now, since in, in the ancient world, women were always kind of the purveyors of magic anyway. Magic had to do with incantations and potions and this stuff. This was kind of the women's world. And so here we have women that are um, workers of magic, speaking nonsense and speaking what they ought not to. So they might have been the ones teaching doctrines of demons. Um, They might have been pronouncing magic incantations. Paul's saying they're saying things they shouldn't be saying. Uh, In 2 Timothy, the second book he writes to Timothy, chapter 3, he also mentions women going into private homes and taking other women captive and leading them into sin. So the problem here in the church of Ephesus is both the context of the city of Ephesus and then what was happening inside the church. So let me summarize. Ephesus was a leading city in the Roman Empire of a female cult of a female goddess with female priests and prophetesses. The women taught it was Eve who gave knowledge to man, so women dominated everything. Women had to be the teacher of men. Women, some believed the women should not have children uh, because it, within Gnosticism, it perpetuated the material world, which was evil. Um, now, in the church in uh, that Timothy is over, it's interesting that in 1 Timothy, in 2 Timothy, and in the book of Titus, Paul uses several times the phrase that they should teach the knowledge of the truth. So the gnosis not of Gnosticism, but the gnosis of truth. Knowledge is good, but not knowledge of the wrong things. The knowledge of the truth is what we are after in the church. So let's start reading here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ versus the woman, Diana, and all of her women mediators, okay? Verse 6, who gave himself, this is the man Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a true and faithful teacher, of the Gentiles. Now here's the heart of the matter. Verse 8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly. No running around pulling your skirts up, right? Or adorning yourself with all these sensual ornaments. Get it? So I want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Now, you're still scratching your head, I'm sure. I want to help you out here. Let's review. What he just said is, men have a role. I want men pray, lifting up holy hands. Women, I want you to be modest and decency. Don't bring any of that pagan stuff into the church. Women, you need to be taught. You're not all the teachers. You're not the mediator here. Christ is the mediator. You need to learn and not try to overpower and domineer. Men don't need you to learn, basically. Paul set the record straight then about Adam and Eve because Gnosticism had so twisted the story. Then Paul upheld womanhood and childbearing. Now the translation here is the problem. I have alternate translations for three of these verses that are going to make it so much more clear for you what Paul was really saying. And at the end today, I'm going to tell you the book to get if you want to study this from the scholars. They're the Greek experts. They're the ones that have worked out these better translations. I actually don't know Greek, so I'm not telling you this from my experience. But from an excellent book that was published about 30 years ago by a man and wife, a uh, woman, a man and wife, theologians. And uh, so this is what they said better translations of the Greek in these verses. So, verse 11, we read, he said, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Well, everyone should learn, right? whether you're woman or man, and everyone should learn in quietness and in submission to the teaching. So that's not even an issue. That's not even a woman issue. We all should do that. But the key here is Paul wanted the women to learn, and that's a big yay. Women aren't supposed to just stay home and not study or be prepared for any kind of teaching or leadership. Paul wanted the women to learn. But they are not necessarily the giver of knowledge, and they need to realize that they need to learn, and to learn knowledge of the truth, not Gnosticism. The next verse is even bigger trouble in the translation. In the NIV, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Well, there are many churches and many male pastors that take this translation, all the translations, most of the translations, I should say, and say that Paul is saying a woman should not teach, period. And she should not have any authority over a man. She must be quiet. But these scholars said there are other ways of translating these Greek words, and some of the conjunctions lead to a different connotation than just than some of these translations. So the word order is very unusual, and there is one word that appears in this verse that does not appear anywhere else in the New Testament. So there it's got like 12 different uh, definitions. You don't know which one was used in the New Testament language. You don't know exactly which one. And so these scholars picked the translation that fit more into the context of this Ephesus uh, cult and the pervasion of Gnosticism into the early church. And this is their translation. I do not allow a woman to teach or proclaim herself as the author of man." So this Gnostic teaching that woman was the one that was to give knowledge to the man, Paul is saying, I don't allow that to be taught in the church. So is he saying the woman can't teach, or is he saying the woman can't teach this and proclaim herself as. That's what I believe the better translation is. And then he goes in and he sets the record straight about Adam and Eve because of Gnosticism. Then, verse 15 this is a very, very hard one to even translate. Uh, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith love, and holiness with propriety. A better translation is saying that the woman can be saved and still be a childbearer. So in other words, childbearing is not evil. So evidently, there may have been a teaching that if a woman in the church is pregnant, she can't be saved because this pregnancy is a part of childbearing, which is evil, perpetrating evil. And here he's saying women can be saved in the process of childbearing, meaning while childbearing, even as a childbearer. And so Paul is saying childbearing is not evil It in no way interferes with the woman's relationship with God and her salvation, and he upholds womanhood and one of the primary functions of womanhood, which is childbearing. Now, I promise to tell you the resource. If you—a lot of you women, you probably want to get the book and really read more because I only have so many minutes to share with you, and I'm already out of minutes. The name of the book is, I Suffer Not a Woman. You can get it on Amazon. Very few copies of it are still left, but you can get some used copies. We'll put a link to it in today's show notes. And with that, I want to leave you one last nugget of gold. When you are reading in the New Testament, the scriptures, and let's talk about the epistles, talking about men and women and wives and husbands, You need to continually remind yourself that the same word for woman is wife and the same word for man is husband. And the only way the translators knew whether to translate the word as woman or wife was by looking at the context. So always look at the context and see, is Paul talking about all women at all times everywhere? Or was he talking about a situation between husbands and wives. And there you'll know the better way to translate those words. So translation is really, really key. And translation is just, it's a subjective um, science. Um, you know, I'm so grateful for all the translations. We have all the work that's gone into the translations. But there are some instances where we need a better translation to really understand who were these women that Paul was trying to silence. Well, it wasn't you and me. It wasn't those of us that are quietly learning the Word of God, getting educated, being trained so that we can teach others. He was not talking to us. He was talking about women that had come from the pagan world trying to dominate the men, thought they were the only ones that could teach, and that they were teaching false doctrine and wrong things. So be at peace. If God has called you to teach like he's called me to teach, then prepare yourself, educate yourself, and go through every door of opportunity that he opens for you. So that's it for this week. Enjoy your reading. No more scratching of your head. And I'll see you back here. Until then, God bless. Well, Hey there, I hope you've enjoyed the teaching so far during our walk through the Bible. We would like to ask for your help. If you've enjoyed it, if you've received from it, if you've learned something and you would like to bless others with the opportunity to be a part of these teachings, would you please go down below in today's show notes, follow the link there to make a donation. You know, it costs a lot of money for us to provide this teaching to you free of charge, but we've done so just wanting to bless you. I'd like to ask you now, would you bless others? make a donation so that we can get this teaching out to more people. We would appreciate it. We just appreciate your partnership with us in that way. God bless you. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.